we don't remember, the ones that compel us in some way that's beyond our reasoning, yet we could swear originated from our own waking thoughts? What if the battle of good versus evil is really a battle of remembering versus forgetting? Do you remember your dreams? Poet Lou Welch once said, the way out is out. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Almost comforting. But what if it's not always that simple? What if there are times when the only way out is to go through it? It's really the only choice I had when I first started having the dreams. Dreams that weren't even mine. They were someone else's. And I had no idea whether I was seeing them while they were having them or intercepting them, and was meant to do something with them. Like what? I don't know. Deliver them, maybe? I had no idea. They were telling me things I was meant to hear, and showing me things I was meant to see, things that dragged me into another reality, one that's fluid and without time. But none of it was about me just involved me, and its persistence drew me in like a dragonfly to water, leading me to where I am now, fully immersed in a world where someone else's dreams and a series of bizarre synchronicities have led me to an old Victorian house overlooking Humboldt Bay and the three young psychics it's drawn into its orbit. A house I'd never been to, but had visited so many times in dreams, I knew it well. One that was so haunted, local legend has it, that it's demonically possessed. But the real story of what lives and dreams in the House of Phantods is far more complicated than mere possession by some restless spirit or hungry demon as complicated as an ancient god sprung from more than just the imagination of a science fiction writer. The dreams it transmits to those it selects to do its bidding and the entities determined to see to it they don't. My name is Cassandra. Welcome to the House of Phantods. There are certain defining moments in a person's life, those times if we'd known what was coming when we went to bed the night before, we would have left a note on the nightstand telling ourselves to be on alert because shit gets real. A young woman I was destined to meet was about to face a defining moment, and whether she knew it or not, shit was definitely about to get real. 
A television softly drones across a darkened room opposite the bed as a newscaster reports that a group of astronomers at Johns Hopkins University has just announced a theory for why the universe is expanding at an alarmingly accelerating rate. They believe a previously unknown element they've dubbed dark energy is causing the expansion, and a new controversial report suggests this dark energy is getting stronger and denser, leading to a future in which atoms are ripped apart, organized systems fall into chaos, and time itself ends. From the other side of the room, a pretty young woman turns off the 24-hour news cycle and sets her San Francisco Bride magazine on the nightstand. She switches off the lamp and curls up next to the man beside her, quickly falling into a deep sleep. The room is enveloped in near darkness and the sound of their breathing in that perfect spooning of two lovers intertwined in dreams, until movement beneath the covers interrupts the serene sleepscape. Something that looks to be the size of a small dog is moving around under the covers closest to the woman. I hadn't noticed a dog in the room and wonder how I could have missed it. She stirs slowly, gradually waking as the movement turns to thrashing. She sits up. What is that? she says. She starts trying to get the man's attention, says his name several times louder and louder each time. Stephen? Stephen! Stephen! It doesn't wake him up. She says something about not wanting a spider bite to affect the optics at the wedding tomorrow, but I'm pretty sure she was just trying to talk herself out of panicking because spiders in San Francisco don't get that big. She braces herself with a deep breath and with the hand that only moments earlier had been draped over Stephen pulls back the covers. A menacing cackle emerges from deep within the bowels of the darkest part of the bed in response. Instinctively, she quickly yanks her other hand out from beneath the covers to discover that whatever it was had been chewing on her finger. She fumbles with the light for what seems an eternity, finally snapping it on in time to catch a glimpse of something gruesome before it pulls the covers back down over both of them. Before she can move, it has her trapped in the bedding, the sheets wrapped around her legs. She's too shocked to scream, her voice gone, paralyzed. All she can do is thrash with it amid the tangled sheets, doing what she can to fight with this, this thing. Whether monster or demon or alien even seemed pointless to waste precious moments thinking about. It was there and it had teeth, lots of them. That's all that mattered. It vaguely reminds me of a creature I once saw in a movie based on a Lovecraft story, Dagon. All teeth and endless hunger, its sallow skin stretched tightly across its angular frame, its high-pitched cackle building in intensity the more she struggles with it. I understand why she can't scream. But it makes no sense to me why her struggle with the creature, or even the sound of its hideous cackle, isn't waking Stephen. He's on his back naked beneath the sheets, still sleeping soundly. The young woman and I watch with horror as the creature turns to him next. 
It straddles his midsection and somehow begins projecting pornographic images directly into not just Stephen's mind, but hers and mine also, deeply disturbing images. And because they're being projected directly into each of our visual cortex, they're not something we can just turn off. These are the kind of images that would easily get a person arrested if they were caught visiting those websites they need an onion router for. It gets even more disturbing when both Stephen and the creature start getting visibly aroused. She finally finds her voice and screams at him to wake up. The creature echoes her scream with its own, and Stephen wakes, finally. He's frozen, like a man with sleep paralysis pinned under a succubus. The creature responds with even more hideous cackling. She shouts that they need to get out of there and figure out what the hell the thing is. And that distracts the creature just enough that she's able to untangle her legs and get in a good kick, sending it flying across the room and against the wall with a watery thud. Her beloved Stephen uses the opportunity to run for the bathroom, slamming the door behind him and locking it without her, where he starts shouting at her from behind the locked door, and my heart breaks for her. I noticed as the hipster handsome thirty-something passed me that he was wearing a silver skull ring on his little finger. My mother always warned me about men who wear rings on their pinky finger which is why nothing about what came next would have surprised her. I heard him shout, What the hell did you drag into the house this time? And Mom scores another hit. It's the pinky ring, I'm telling you. Then he goes for the kill and shouts, It's always something with you. If that's another of your loser emo poet friends, you can just drag him out of the house yourself, Wallace. So, her name is Wallace. Good to know. The creature scuttles crab-like across the room and quickly corners her, watching her face as it dawns on her that her Stephen has left her to battle the thing on her own is even more heartbreaking than him leaving her like that, until she begins to sob. That's the worst, especially when the creature responds with more hideous laughter, as if humoring itself was the whole point. You've been listening to House of Fantods, written and produced by Adrian Veronese, narrated by Cassandra Speaks. Our musical selections include Aquarium by Camille Saint-Saëns, arranged and performed by Kevin McLeod licensed through the Creative Commons. Our theme song is No Way by Sue and the Namis from their newly released album, Future Trash.